Therefore I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. This is Jonathan Smith, and welcome to the In His Grip radio broadcast. Join me for the next few minutes for old-fashioned singing and preaching. When you think you're about to lose grip on faith and life, remember this, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Good afternoon, listeners. We're going to be in Luke chapter number 14 this afternoon for the message. Luke chapter number 14. I will be preaching on whatever it takes. But before we get into the message this afternoon, listen to this song that is titled, I Just Want to Please the Lord. There are trophies to be won. Success is there to claim Some would give their very souls To reach earth's highest plane But to count again would be my loss If I lay down commitment's cross So I lift my eyes to things above And serve Him with a heart of want to please the Lord, be in His will in every way, to be lost in His presence, found in His likeness, to hear Him say, well done, someday. been made sins die already cast the world was at my fingertips I had arrived at last but the cry could not be pacified from a heart about to break inside then Jesus showed himself to me and said just look what you can be I just want to please the Lord Be in His will in every way To be lost in His presence Found in His likeness
Amen. I hope you have a life and a testimony that says, I just want to please the Lord. Luke chapter number 14 is where we're going to be this afternoon. And we understand the story that begins in verse number 15 about the preparation of the great supper. We see the master, he goes out and then some people have excuses of why they cannot make it into this supper. And one says that, I've bought a piece of ground, and so if you excuse me, the other one says, I've bought uh, some oxen, so if you'll have me excuse, and the other one says, hey, I've married and have a wife, and I can't come, and the Lord went out and said, go out into all the highways and hedges, compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. So we see here that God was willing to do whatever it took to fill his house for this supper. But we didn't go down to verses 26 and 27 where it says, If any man come unto me and hate not his father and his mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 27 says, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We go down to verse 33 and it says, So likewise, Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. So we see that God was willing to do whatever it took to fill his house for this great supper. And then he goes down and he says, hey, if you're not willing to bear your own cross, if you're not willing to forsake everybody and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. So what I'd like to preach about just for a few moments this afternoon is are you willing to do whatever it takes to please the Lord? Are you willing to go the extra mile? God's not asking us to die for him. He's already paid the ultimate price. All he is asking us is to give our lives and live that holy and acceptable life that he's asking us to live. Before I get into the message this afternoon, I'd like to look at a few things to, to show you that God is always working behind the scenes. We can see that a fish was used to remind the prophet that God always catches his man. We see Jonah. He tried to run from God. He tried to have the answer. He said, hey, just throw me overboard and everything will be all right. And God had a fish already prepared for him to remind him that you can't run from God. God will catch you and God will do whatever is necessary uh, to get your attention. We see that God used a funeral to remind the prophet that God will chasten 
his man. We see that David, you know, he tried to uh, do some things that just wasn't right. It wasn't, uh, it, it just, he just tried to do things his own way, try to take matters into his own hands, and God chastened him by a way of a funeral. We see a fowl, a bird, if you will, was used to remind the preacher that God will convict his man. We see that Elijah, he found himself under a tree, but God used just a simple fowl to remind him that God will convict you and show you where you are at. We see, last of all, as a means of introduction, that a famine was used to remind the prodigal that God will corner his man. God will put you at a place that it'll bring you to come to yourself to realize that you need to be at the Father's house. So we just see just some basic examples here that God will catch his man, God will chasten his man, God will convict his man, and God will corner his man. So he's willing to do whatever it takes. The question this afternoon is, will you do whatever it takes to please the Heavenly Father? First of all, I'd like to look at it and preach this point, that if it's salvation... Will you admit it? We're preaching on, are you willing to do whatever it takes? First of all, if it's salvation, will you admit it? We see the rich man who could not sell his possessions. In Mark chapter number 10, in verses 21, 22, we find this. says, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. We see this rich man was not willing to let go of his possessions to attain and to, to possess the greatest possession of all, would be eternal security and eternal salvation. So if it is salvation this afternoon, will you admit it that you need it? You know, there's some things that we can see in Scripture that uh, kind of help support this thing about admitting if you need salvation because there's a lot of people that think they have salvation and they don't. You can have religion, my friend, this afternoon, and you can still lack one thing, and that is redemption. You can have religion and lack redemption. The example here we find in Luke chapter number 18, it says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift so much his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So we can see here in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, that you can have religion, but you can lack 
redemption. The second thing I'd like to show you this afternoon is that you can have reformation and still lack regeneration. Matthew chapter number 12, verses 43 to 45 tells us this. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. Then he saith, I will return to my house from which I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. What we find here in this passage in Matthew 12, verses 43 to 45, is that this man's condition was worse at the end than it was at the beginning. And he was possessed by seven other spirits that were more wicked than himself. Hey, you can have reformation. You can clean everything up. It can look good, but you can still lack regeneration. And we also see that you can have righteousness and still lack repentance. We live in a time where preachers don't want to preach on repentance. They don't want to preach on forsaking your sins. They don't want to preach on, hey, you need to realize who you really are. I'm afraid to tell you this afternoon that if you are not willing to repent, then you cannot admit that you need salvation. The very first thing to do whatever it takes to serve God is to admit that you need to be saved. And that is to realize that you need redemption, you need regeneration, but most of all, you need repentance in your life. You need to to, to, to know that you're a sinner, that you are bound for hell, and you are willing to repent of your sins. And if you're not willing to repent, then you cannot obtain salvation. We live in a time where preachers say, hey, repeat this prayer after me. It's just one, two, three, and you're saved. And these people never get up and repent of their sins. Hey, if you won't repent of your sins, you cannot be saved. So if it is salvation, will you admit it? Second of all, this afternoon, that if it is sin, will you acknowledge it? If it is sin, will you acknowledge it? In Psalm 51, we see where David is broken of heart, and he is confessing his sin. He said, my sin is ever before me. And we see that he had some things in his life that, that he had went against God. He did things he knew he shouldn't have done. And he comes to God in Psalm 51 in a, in a broken heart, you know, basically asking God to forgive him and getting things right with God because he realized that he had to acknowledge the sin in his life if he was going to do whatever it took to get back in fellowship with the Father. We see about sin that there's the warning of the covered sin. Proverbs 28, 13, the first half of that verse, it says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. We see that sin, if it is covered in our life, you cannot prosper. God has a way of getting your attention. It might be through something physical. It might be through something financial. It might just be that he sends a man of God to point his finger in your face and say, Thou art that man. But sin, if you cover it up, it will keep you from prospering 
in your Christian life. There's the snare of sin. We see Solomon. He lost his heart for God because he allowed women to come into his life to take his eyes off of God, which ultimately caused him to lose his heart for God. That is the snare of sin, but the scar of sin would be to use Samson as an example. He lost his power that he obtained from God because he allowed sin to creep into his life to take the most valuable thing that he had, which was his physical strength that he used for God. I'm here to tell you that the snare of sin will cause scars of sin, and this is the warning of trying to cover your sins. It will keep you from prospering. We see sin. It took down the strongest man. It took down the wisest man. And it took down the man that was after God's own heart. If you think you can challenge sin, you think that you're big enough for sin, let me tell you, there's the warning of sin. It will call, it'll bring a snare into your life and it will cause scars. But if I was to stop there, that would sound horrible. But there is the wonder of confessed sins. The last half of that verse is better than the first half. It says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. When we look at confessed sin, you can expect the forgiveness of God. God's not going to hold a grudge. God's not going to try to bargain with you. He just says, hey, if you're willing to confess that sin, if you're willing to forsake that sin, I will show mercy unto you and you can expect forgiveness from me because I'm going to take those sins. I'm going to cast them into the deepest sea and it's going to be removed as far as the east as from the west and, and, and all those things we have preached through years sound really good, but I am so thankful for that one little phrase that we find John the Baptist saying in the New Testament. It says, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Now God didn't just bury it somewhere. He just didn't stick it somewhere where you couldn't find it. He took it away, my friend. When you confess and forsake the sins that are in your life, God will show mercy. He will forgive you and he will Put it in a place where it can never be found because it is gone. It is away forever and forever. And then you can enjoy the forgetfulness of God. We, at times, we come down to the altar. We will pray. We will beat ourselves up. And God is up there look, looking down on us when we're praying and going, what sins are you talking about? They're not there anymore. He has took them away. But that's because if it is sin you will acknowledge it. So first of all, this afternoon, are you willing to do whatever it takes to please the Father? If it is salvation, will you admit it? If it is sin, will you acknowledge it? Third of all, if it is separation, will you attain it? Second Corinthians chapter number 6, verse 17 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Second Corinthians 7 verse 1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 
We don't hear preaching on separation that much anymore because they say there's not enough Bible for it. Well, I'm going to tell you, you're probably not using the King James Bible, and that's why you can't find verses on separation. But my Bible tells us in several places that we ought to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, and we need to attain the life of separation. We need to separate ourselves from certain places. There are some places that the child of God never should find himself at. We see in 1 John 2.15, it says this, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That ought to tell us that if we're not to love the world and neither the things that are in the world, we shouldn't be in the places that is consumed with nothing but the world. And I'm not saying that you got to hide in a box. I'm not saying you can't leave your house, if you will. But there are certain places that the child of God never should find himself because it can affect his testimony and you won't have the life that is separated for God. Not only should you separate yourself from certain places, but you should also separate yourself from certain people. Amos 3, 3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? You cannot hang out with the world 24 seven and expect to have the touch of God in your life. If you cannot agree with them, I'm going to tell you, I've heard people say this, uh, and I'm not that old. I still consider myself wet behind the ears, but there's a lot of people that'll say, hey, I can go there. I can be a witness. I can help them and I can change them. Yeah, I've heard that before. What you will find is that anytime that you get alone and you get out into somebody that is worldly or you get out with somebody that is carnal, it never fails. You're not going to bring them up. They are going to bring you down. And you need to learn that you need to separate yourself from certain people because that will affect your life of separation. Then we can see that you need to separate yourself from certain practices. Obviously, there are some things that will be like, uh, 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 preacher, I understand. Yeah, I, I shouldn't do these certain things. I, I, I shouldn't uh, drink alcohol. I shouldn't use drugs. And, you know, there's some things that are just obvious for the Christian. But there are also some things that we would think that is just common sense. But that's something that doesn't exist that much today either. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, we have this phrase and verse that we use and we don't believe it because if we did, we would change things about our lives because it says, abstain from all appearance of evil. If it even seems like it might be evil, we should abstain from it. So there are certain practices that a child of God should refrain from doing because it might appear evil. It didn't say it was evil. It just said it appeared evil, and that can affect your testimony, and it can affect you from living the separated life. So if it is separation, will you attain it? And then we see there are certain professions that we should be separated from. You should never find a child of God in certain professions because you cannot have a cause for Christ 
and have a cause for the world. No Christian should have a job where they are serving alcohol or putting alcohol to his neighbor's lips. And like, oh, preacher, there's no such thing as as scripture against alcohol. Uh, My preacher said it's okay for us to drink a little bit. Well, Habakkuk 2.15 says, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth the bottle to him, and make him, him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. And that's all. I don't have time to preach just on alcohol this afternoon, but they are professions that we should stay away from. I could go and list a whole bunch of things, but the Lord's already brought some of those things to your mind. That a Christian, if he's going to be separated, he's going to separate himself from certain places, from certain people, from certain practices, and from certain professions. So if it is salvation, will you admit it. If it is separation, will you attain it? And if it is suffering, will you accept it? We see that uh, suffering is nothing, is something that nobody wants, but yet it is still part of the Christian life. First Peter 4, we see these uh, uh, verses that tell us in uh, 1 Peter 4, 12, 16, 12 through 16, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. We also find in verse 19, it says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God co- commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator." We don't like suffering, but I will tell you that our Savior allows it, or if you'll let me say, he permits it. We can see this as an example in the life of Job. Job didn't do anything to deserve what he got, but God allowed all these things to happen into his life for his purpose and for his glory. And I don't know what it is that God might allow to come into your life as a means of suffering, but I'll tell you, you need to accept it because God permits it. We also see that God uh, not only permits it, but our stand provokes it. I don't know about you, but there have been times that I have suffered a little bit, maybe not a lot as much, and definitely somebody's always got it worse. But if you are living for God, your stand will provoke suffering. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you are suffering, realize, hey, the Savior permits it, and your stand for God will provoke it. So if it is suffering, will you accept it? 
And then we want to look, uh, last of all, this afternoon, that if it is sacrifice, will you arrange it? Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Hey, your body is a temple. What The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. We know that our lives is not only a temple, but it's a testimony. That we are an epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. We see that in 2 Corinthians 3. And our life is a tool to be used by God. So if it's salvation, will you admit it? If it's sin, will you acknowledge it? If it's separation, will you attain it? If it's suffering, will you accept it? And if it's sacrifice, will you arrange it? We have now come to the end of our time today. I hope and pray that today's broadcast was a help and blessing to you. If you wish to contact me, you can email me at inhisgrip at inbox.com. Again, that is inhisgrip at inbox.com. But before I go, I just want to remind you one more time that you are in His grip. Isaiah 41.13 says, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Join us at the same time next week for more old-fashioned singing and preaching. I am Jonathan Smith, and thank you for tuning in. You have been listening to the In His Grip radio broadcast.